Welcome to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages every week. These powerful messages are sure to inspire you and keep you on track. Whether it's our late founder, Pastor Wayman Mitchell, or any of your favorite fellowship leaders worldwide, including Pastors Joe Campbell, Paul Stevens, Mark Olson, Tom Payne, Harold Warner, Richard Ruby, and many more, get ready to hear from God through this message. You are now listening to a free preview of our premium sermon podcast. Enjoy. Well, we're very happy to welcome to this podcast, this episode of our interview podcast, Pastor Nick Half. Thanks for joining us, sir. How are you today? Doing good. Doing good, Adam. Thanks for having me, for sure. Awesome. Well, I uh, we really appreciate the time. And uh, g- as we are getting started with these weekly interviews, I um, I have just been spreading the word a little bit about, you know, what we're doing with the podcast and and so uh, we found ourselves in a in a conversation since we were there in your city, your fair city, just <laughs> just a few <laughs> days ago. And uh, so you were kind enough to uh, to join this uh, this crazy idea. So thank, thanks for doing that. Yeah, no, I think it's a great idea. I like it. Yeah. Um, so on this podcast, we you know we we do sermons uh, six days a week, and then we. Uh, we are starting to do these new interviews uh, once a week. And so what we, uh, the whole reason behind this is we want to get to know the people behind the sermons. And obviously, when you hear somebody preach, you're hearing a message that they've crafted from the Word of God. And um, a lot of times we miss out on kind of the personal details in the background, and even of people that we know and people that we've um uh, you know, rub shoulders with at conference time and those kinds of things. And I think that's definitely true uh, of you and I, I mean, we've known each other for a long time, Yeah. Uh, but I don't, I don't really know a whole lot of details about your background. So I'm excited to get, get to hear this. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be good. It's going to be um, good. <laughs> so uh, let's start at the beginning. Where are you from? So I was born and raised in, in, uh, Northern Ohio. I was born in Cleveland. And then uh, our family moved out of uh, the suburbs of Cleveland out into the countryside about 45 minutes west of Cleveland uh, into a very, very small farming community, very small township. Um, And basically from fifth grade until I left at 19 years old after graduating high school, I was raised out uh, in the west, western part of. well, it's not really Cleveland, but that's the main city where everybody knows. It's it's Lorain County, Amherst, right off of Lake Erie, and a little s- small farming community full of cornfields, soybeans, and cows. Um, until I graduated high school and left for the military, and yeah, so Ohio, I'm a Buckeye by by birth. Ohio is my home. And how would you describe your family life? So mom and dad, uh, I've got three sisters, one brother. So there's five of us siblings, five of us kids total. Um, mom and dad stayed married. My dad was an alcoholic until I was probably, um, I think he sobered up completely when I was probably 10 years old, maybe nine years old. 
parents stayed together. My mom was a stay at home mom. She stayed at home with us, raised us kids. My dad um, worked a lot. And so he, he was uh, physically present, I guess you could say, but um, always, always on the move to provide for the five kids and his, and his wife. So had a good upbringing. Um, We were raised Catholic. My dad did not attend church. It was just mom and the kids. And we are Catholics and until probably I was in eighth grade and my mom got invited to a very large rally at like a baseball diamond. And um, it was a, a Christian rally and she responded to the preaching, um, went to the altar at that baseball diamond and got saved. And in eighth grade, I had no clue being raised as a Catholic what saved was, but I knew something had changed in my mom's life. I knew she came home and she was joyful for the first time. I remember something, I knew something different had changed about her, but I had no clue what happened to her, but I really liked it. She was extremely happy. There was just a difference in her appearance and just the way she looked. And she drugged my sister my oldest sister, um, to another rally and my sister got saved. And so now I got two, uh, two ladies walking around the house, joyful and singing these weird songs I'd never heard. Um, but we, we stopped going to the Catholic church and they were in search of a, you know, a, a Christian church. And at that time in my life, I was like, cool, no church. (laughs) You know, I wasn't into church. I was like, that's fine with me. And uh, they found they found a church. They found a uh, four square um, non-denominational church. And we started going to that when I was in ninth grade. And um, they they completely severed ties with the Catholic church. And we started going to a non-denominational church. But my dad still not a church goer, had wanted nothing to do. Uh, with church. And so it was just me and my mom and the rest of the kids. And so my view of a man was when I got older and became a man, I'd sit at home with dad and watch bowling and fishing like he did on Sunday. And so I I remember being a young kid, couldn't wait to grow up and be a man so I could stay at home with dad. It was, you know, the women and children that went to church. And so that was kind of the role model or the model of a a man that I had at home uh, in my dad. So that was kind of my upbringing. And then in, in high school, um, fifth grade, uh, when I was 15 years old, I remember taking my first drink of alcohol. And I remember hearing my dad's voice, uh, him telling me, son, don't, don't ever drink alcohol because it's in our blood. My, my great-grandfather was an alcoholic. My grandfather was. My father was. And so he was obviously seeing the generational curse there with alcoholism and he i remember he used to warn me all the time don't ever taste alcohol you'll you'll become addicted and i remember at 15 taking that first drink and thinking dad you don't have anything to worry about me because this stuff is horrible (laughs) it was terrible yeah it was terrible and uh but as life goes on and you become a, a older teenager and you start going to parties and peer pressure um takes over and pretty soon you find yourself in in you know at a party and everybody's drinking and so what do you do you just do what 
everybody else is doing, you start drinking. And I developed at 16 years of age, a, um, a thirst and a hunger for alcohol. And it really affected my, the rest of my years. I dropped out of every sport I was involved in, um, high school football, dropped out of football. And, uh, earlier on I was in track. I, I had no extracurricular activities after that because every weekend, all I wanted to do is drink and, surprisingly as teenagers we found it we would find places where we could buy it or we would steal it we would find where it was at and i developed at a semi-young age um this this taste for alcohol and graduated and went off to the marine corps and it just got worse they just fueled that um fueled that fire now i was out serving my country and alcohol was a lot more available and I would say the majority of the Marines that I knew or I was around were all drinking. And it just kind of turned into a huge drinking party inside the barracks. And it was just getting worse and worse. I started drinking during the week, showing up to um, class or school through the military, still intoxicated, coming out of my veins. It was just a bad scene. But I remember wanting to change. I remember thinking to myself, I don't want to be like my father. I remember, I remember being very young and my dad being drunk and, you know, the fights that him and my mom would have. And I didn't want to be that way. And so I remember I tried to change. I just said, you know, I need a new group of friends. I need to change the people I'm hanging out with. They're a bad influence on me. So I found a bunch of Marines that were kind of fitness nuts. Started going to the gym with them, spending time with them, lifting weights. But you know what I found, Adam? I found that all I did was exchange one sin for another. These guys may have not have been drinking. They're more conscientious about their body, but they're involved in other things. And I got involved in that as well. And, uh, and it didn't take me long. All it took is me to get angry and bam, I was right back to the alcohol, you know? So, so you can, you can change your, you can change your friends and you can change your lit where you live, but you know, your heart goes with you. And that was my experience, man. I, I didn't want to. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to be the person I was, but I didn't know how to escape me. Everywhere I went, I went with me. <laughs> and so, yeah, no, I had a, I had a good home life, but uh, obviously it wasn't without issues. Sure, sure. So with that, with that background of um, your, your mom getting saved and your sisters, uh, I wonder how, how old were you when that happened? So I was in eighth grade. I'm not exactly sure how old I was. Maybe, I don't know what, 12, 13, 14 in eighth grade. I'm not sure, but yeah. yeah. young. And I was just curious, like um, you said that you have four or three, three sisters and one brother. Was that right? Yeah. And so where were you at in the birth order? So I was the second oldest. Um, so my sister, my oldest sister, um, Danielle was first. And then you had me. Then uh, five years later came my brother, David. And then uh, two sisters after that, Holly and Jennifer. So yeah, five of us, little rugrats, man. <laughs> and, and I always ask because, um, because of this book that I read about birth order and how it has such a profound impact on your personality. And so you being the first boy, that means that you're, you're, um, you're definitely paving some way. So you're not, not exactly the firstborn, but you're not also exactly a middle child either. You kind of 
have the would have the traits of the the baby because uh, because it was a five year difference between you and the next kid. So you got kind of a, a good mix of those personality traits, I would say. And um, so I guess uh, your reaction, what, what do you remember? You kind of described that already about just noticing what a difference was in your mom and your sister. Uh, but how did it affect you personally? Do you, do you remember any of that? Yeah, I, I again, I don't. Um, I did not know what happened to them, but I really liked it. Um, my mom's continence literally changed. I mean, she had a glow about her, which I don't know if that sounds weird or not, or if you've ever seen somebody that really got saved, sometimes their appearance or continence is just like light. And that's the only way I could describe it. And I remember being young, really liking that because, because when you have an alcoholic husband, and both my parents are high school dropouts. Neither of them graduated from high school. Um, they had a rough life. And so they bring in five kids quickly. My mom, to see a joy and a peace and just a, a, a happiness on her, I really liked it. Uh, I didn't know what happened to her. I really didn't. I, I just remember her walking around singing church songs and um I didn't want anything to do with it. I remember when we switched churches and uh, the, going from a Catholic church, if you've ever been to one of those, they're uh, very quiet and private. If you sit down in the pew, uh, creaks or makes noise, everybody looks at you like you're disturbing. Nobody really talks to you afterwards. And then you walk into this non-denominational church and there's a drum set up on the platform and it keyboard and a guitar and everybody's wanting to shake your hands and know who you are and I was just like leave me alone I don't want to talk to you <laughs> you know but I really enjoyed it because I knew it was something good that had happened to my mom and my sister followed suit she same thing happened to her she was just uh, joy filled and walking around the house singing these church songs and they were man they were just excited and my mom went to full throttle trying to evangelize me and that's kind of uh, where I started to resist, I guess you could say, um, I didn't want her evangelism. I'll go to your church. That's fine. But I, I don't want to change. I don't want to, you know, I didn't feel like I needed to change just going to church because we were raised going to church. I mean, I was baptized as a baby in the Catholic church, ended up becoming an altar boy. We actually went to Catholic school, I was raised in a Catholic school and taught by nuns. Church was just part of what we did. And so it was like, if I went to church, I'm okay. Um, but my mom started cleaning the house. No secular music in the house, except for my dad's, because my dad didn't go to church and she couldn't change him. But us kids, we weren't allowed to have any secular music in the house. She started um, monitoring what we could and could not watch on television and that kind of cramped my style right there i'm like all right enough of this i don't like this uh new church stuff because <laughs> i was i was uh -huh. becoming a teenager you know i was entering into high school at that time so yeah so when she started touching you know some of my stuff like hey man i'll go to church but i don't know if i really like the way that you're uh changing everything here gotcha so it sounds like you had like a really positive uh, it, uh, view of what Christianity was all about from from that experience, even though you didn't accept it at the time. And, um, you know, what what I've noticed 
is that the gospel really has a polarizing effect that you can't be exposed to the power of Christ and his transforming, you know, uh, the blood of Jesus and true forgiveness without either being drawn to it or kind of pushed away. And it sounds like you started to be pushed away at that time, which, which led you down the road of, uh, making some mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'd agree with that. So, yeah, yeah. So, so you described, uh, joining the military and, uh, for those military members, maybe you can describe, you know, what you did and what was your raid and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, I joined the Marine Corps, went into uh boot camp, Paris Island, South Carolina for about three months. And, um, after getting out, went through some more training, Marine combat training. And then you just get assigned an MOS, which is a military occupational specialty. And for me, um, I worked uh, as a uh, aviation electrician. So I did electrical work, um, not on aircraft, but uh, support equipment to support aircraft. And so our school was probably about um, almost a year and a half between two different schools. I started in Millington, um, Tennessee at my A school and was there for several months. And then from there, we went to Jacksonville, Florida for our C school. And I was there for about seven months. And that's where I got saved. I was probably in Jacksonville about three months. And, uh, I was very well aware of the church because the church was very active on the Marine Corps base. They were, um, there were several guys that were constantly come into the barracks and evangelize, knock on your door, just like an outreach, walk right into the barracks and walk down the hallway and they would just knock door to door and they're evangelizing these barracks. And, uh, Everybody knew the Jacksonville, Florida church, or at least every Marine and sailor that was on that base that I was affiliated and familiar with because they were so evangelistic. They'd walk right into the day room where we're all sitting there watching TV and just sit down and start witnessing. And that's just, that's who they were, man. And so I remember um, me and my uh, roommate, actually all of them, I had four roommates at the time and Every one of us were heavy drinkers and uh, I was out on a Saturday and a Marine had gotten married to a local girl. So he had moved into an apartment complex and we're having a big party over there. And I remember I was dating my high school sweetheart. And so it was Saturday. I was like, oh, shoot, I got a caller. You know, this is before cell phones. And so I asked him, I said, hey, man, do you have a phone I can use? So I went into his back room where there's probably about 30 Marines in this little tiny apartment, as well as um, females. And my girlfriend can hear the voice of the females. And so we got in this big argument, huge argument. And uh, and so, you know, I needed some counseling I needed to go back to the barracks and talk to my best friend and get some counseling after having this big, huge argument with with my high school sweetheart. Well, he wasn't in the barracks. I said, well, where is he? And they said, he's at church on a Saturday night. I didn't even need to know, ask what church. I knew exactly what church. I knew it was at. The bad part about this, and, and I'm ashamed of this, but I was intoxicated, and I got in my car, and I drove to the church intoxicated because I needed my best friend. You know, He's going to counsel me and tell me everything's going to be okay. 
And so, and he must've been a good friend. Yeah. So he's at church. He's at an extreme scene at the church there in Florida. And so here I come, I pull up and I'm intoxicated and I know I'm intoxicated. And I was raised better than that. You don't go into the house of God intoxicated. Right. So I did what makes sense sense to um drunk people is you just put a big wad of chew in so that the people can't smell my alcohol my breath and i make my way to the door and the door opens and it's pitch black they're showing a movie and he closes the door behind me and all the street lights from the parking lot you know de-illuminate because the door is closed and the only light is the screen and they're showing a video and so i looked at him i said hey is is uh mike here and he said is he a marine i said yes he goes all the marines are sitting over there and he points in a direction well it's pitch black and i'm intoxicated i can't see a thing and even if it was daylight i probably couldn't walk straight so i start walking in a direction and i have no idea where i'm going so i just start yelling for him in the middle of this extreme scene oh my god yeah <laughs> mike mike you in here he gets up and comes over and he says, you idiot, you're intoxicated. What are you doing? Sit down. So he's trying to calm me down and sit me down. But, you know, I'm worked up because I just got in a fight with my high school sweetheart, man. We got to talk about this. So I would I couldn't be calmed down. And I was just ruining the extreme scene because I'm talking. And so he picks me up and says, we got to leave. And he takes me back to the barracks. I sober up the next day, Adam, and I realized what I'd done. And I made a promise to myself. I, I embarrassed myself, man. I would never, never show myself, never show my face in that church ever. I can't believe I was such an idiot to do something so foolish. You know, you know better than that. That, you know, I already knew I had a problem, but that was like the compounding moment. Like, Nick, you've got a serious problem, dude. You need to get your act together. But the problem is I didn't know how. And it was probably two weeks after that, even after I made a vow, I'd never walk back in there. That same friend I pulled out of that extreme scene that night looks at me and he says, hey, we need to go to church. And I said, why? And he says, because out of everybody, you and me need it. And I said, well, I can't argue with you. Let's go. And he's the one that took me. We get in the car. I think it was a Sunday night. I can't remember if it was Sunday night or Sunday morning. We drive back to that church. and. Uh, you know, I was raised in church, you know, I, I probably clapped my hands to the songs. I might have even said amen when Pastor Meyer was preaching. I don't remember. But one thing I do remember is I remember that altar call because I had never sat through an altar call before. Every head bowed, every eye closed, and God begins to deal with me. And man, I just felt like God reached in my chest and grabbed a hold of my heart. And it was six feet in front of me. And he was just cooling me and I was white knuckling the bottom of that metal chair with all my might I did not want to go to that altar not because I didn't want to get saved I really did I really felt convicted I wanted to change but I didn't want my marine buddy to see me and say oh Nick just got religious and you know take that back to the barracks and then I become the laughing stock of the marine corps I'm like no 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 not on my watch I'm not gonna let this happen to me but you know, Pastor Meyer said something. He said, if you're sitting here and you're worried about what everybody else is going to think about you, can I tell you something? When you die, you stand before Jesus alone and nobody's going to be there with you. So does it really matter what they think? 
And that was the breaking point for me, man. I raised my hand. I went to an altar and I prayed a prayer. And Adam, I couldn't tell you what I prayed. I don't remember, but I meant it with all my heart. And, uh, and I got saved that day. I felt like a, a, a hundred pounds left off my back. You know, they say, they say white men can't jump. If there was a basketball hoop that day, I'll bet you I could have touched the rim, man. I felt so <laughs> light. I felt so light. And it was the greatest feeling I've ever felt in my life. And the Marine that took me, my friend, Mike, he took me, he came to, he walked down the aisle, he followed me, but he stopped halfway, turned around and went outside and smoked. He didn't go all the way down. When I got outside, he says, now that you got Jesus, doesn't mean you're going to stop hanging around with us, does it? And I said, no, I mean, and I meant that. Why would I? But I'll tell you the truth. Man, God really did a work in my life. I went that next Friday because every Friday we went to the bar. That next Friday, I found myself back at the bar with all the same Marines, same bar, same bartender, same jukebox, same pool table. And I started looking around. And I remember even asking the bartender, did you guys repaint here? She said, no. I said, did you rearrange? Something's different. It really looked different to me. But I realized now. There's nothing different. I was different. I don't belong there anymore. Something was out of place. And that was me. And I remember I didn't, that was the first night I did not get drunk. I went back to the church the next Sunday. I remember I walked in and I asked one of the guys standing at the sound booth. I said, Hey, is drinking a sin? And they opened the Bible and they showed me be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. And that was it, man. Cold Turkey. I never stepped back in another bar. I wanted nothing but Jesus after that. It's like, I don't want anything to do with that old life. I just want to live for you, Lord. And if he can use a knucklehead like me, here I am. <laughs> wow. And then you rode off into the sunset and it was happily ever after, right? Yeah. No, I wish. I wish. No, it, but it's been good. <laughs> God has been so good. There's been ups and downs, man, but God has been so good. He has been so good. But, I, you know, Adam, I remember walking into that church. And I remember, you know, just struggling to stay saved, you know. And my old friends are pulling on me because I didn't have any Christian friends. I didn't even know, even though I was raised in church, I didn't know what it was to be a Christian. I memorized scriptures as a boy. Mom would give me a star when I memorized a scripture and things like that. But it's different being saved. And I was really saved. And I really wanted to live for God. And I didn't want to hang out with these guys. But I didn't have any more friends. They're really pulling on me every weekend. If you'd like to hear the rest of this sermon, subscribe today. It's only $3 a month when you subscribe at supercast.tech or $4.99 per month when subscribing in Apple Podcasts. Links are in the show notes. We thank you for joining us on this special preview of the VBPH Sermon Podcast. for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless. God bless.